Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Leadership Podcast. And today I have a guest, Travis Ortmeier, one of the world's strongest men. And he has an amazing story, very inspiring. If you follow the Self-Leadership Podcast, you know we are all about inspiring you to pursue your dreams, your passion, and apologetically. So hi, Travis. Thank you so much for being my guest. Hello. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So, I mean, you have such an amazing career behind you and still going on. Like you have such an amazing list of achievements. Would you like to share with us how you got started in this specific discipline that is not very common, but I feel it's getting more and more popular. <laughs> it's, we're building the steam, but yeah, it's, it was, especially when I started, it was not a common thing to, at all. Mm. <clears throat> um, you know, I've, uh, I've been competing now for 22 years mm. and I was already lifting for nine years when I did my first strongman contest. Wow. And, um, so I mean, just a little background. I went from, you know, a kid who had never done strongman to competing at the world championships in about three years. Wow. Uh, I already had about nine years of lifting under my belt before that, but strongman just something about it it just resonated it just it, it felt right mm -hmm. and uh and but you know the way that i got into it it's, it's kind of a funny story and it just kind of it, it shows how much of an impact it had on my life so i uh like i said i i've been lifting for nine years i had done a couple bodybuilding competitions and they were fundraisers for the high school football team and so I wasn't on the football team, but I wanted to do this bodybuilding show because that's what I had been training for. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, like uh, like Conan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did these two competitions. And even though I was the only guy that knew all of the poses, I didn't place in either one of them. And I kind of realized the subjective nature of bodybuilding at that point. I realized I wasn't on the football team. This is a fundraiser for the football team. The judges are already going to be a little biased. Mm -hmm. It kind of, it left a sour taste in my mouth. Um, and then I graduated high school and uh, moved to Houston, Texas, where I was training at a gym with my dad and a guy that we met there. And we started doing powerlifting. And powerlifting is, is squat, bench, and deadlift. It's just those three in that order. Um, so... It was fun. It was fun to train. We did a contest. We actually went out uh, to Austin, which is like a two and a half hour drive away. You know, we're 18 or 19 at the time. I think it was 19. Anyway, didn't have any money. And we spent all this money signing up, registering for the, the Federation, getting the equipment that we needed. We had to share a squat suit and a bench shirt. Wow. And uh, a funny story on that. So he was a 275, a 125 kilo guy. I was a 242, it was 110 kilo guy. We're sharing this equipment. So it was just massive on me. It, it did nothing for me. <laughs> uh, but the night before when we got there, we were signing in and uh, they, they do an equipment check and you're not allowed to wear boxers. You can't wear any kind of underwear that has a leg. It has to be cut off at the hip. Okay. We didn't have any underwear like that. So we had to go commando the next day. So that's when I thought it was great that I was the lighter guy having to go first because then I got to wear the equipment. He got to wear the, the used equipment. Mm 
<laughs> but uh, we did the squats and we didn't know what we were doing. Well, he, he knew what he was doing, but he missed all three of his lifts. I didn't know what I was doing and I missed my first ones. I didn't wait for the calls. And then I missed my next two lifts because I took too big of a jump. Basically, we, we just screwed up. And then at that point, we thought, if you don't make any of your lifts, you can't go on to the next event. So here we were thinking, we just spent all this money, took all this time, had this whole buildup, and then we bombed out on the first event, and now we can't even finish the meet. So we left with our tails between our legs. We now know that we could have finished the meet, we just wouldn't have gotten a total score. Okay. Uh, so that, that, it just shows how much we didn't know. <laughs> I see. So we kind of left with our heads down, and I was a little you know, dejected by powerlifting. I still, I, I loved being in the gym. So I was in the gym as often as I could be. Um, but I didn't really have anything to train for anymore because I didn't like bodybuilding. And then we did this powerlifting thing and that wasn't very fun, mm. you know? So at the time I was going to school full-time and I was a waiter full-time, probably, you know, 36 hours a week, something like that. Wow. So almost full-time. Mm. Um, and I thought, I, I had this thought where I, I was going to even like put weightlifting, which was the sole primary focus of my whole life since I was 11. That was like everything to me. Every day after school, I was in my garage working out. It was my sanctuary, my salvation mm -hmm. from the world outside. Mm -hmm. And here I am thinking, maybe I'll just put this on the back burner and you know, I'm doing really well in school. I've got academic awards. I've got honors credit. I'm going for biotechnology. Maybe I'll, I'll really focus on that. And then I'll work as much as I can, save a bunch of money for, you know, the next level of college. Because I was at a, a smaller college then. I wanted to go to a bigger university. So <clears throat> I'll just work out when I have time. Mm. And it was, I swear, within a week of having that thought. My friend came to me and said, I'm going to do Texas Strongest Man. Wow. I was like, strong man? You mean like those guys on TV? What are you, crazy? We'll never be that strong. And nevertheless, he signed up. And because I was his training partner, I was going to go up and help him out. But I had no intentions of competing. Hmm. You know, we had done, he found a, <laughs> he found a 700-pound uh, tractor tire, 320-kilo tractor tire at a construction site. Wow. And uh, we pulled up in the truck, in his truck. Didn't say anything to anyone there. We just pulled up and we grabbed this tire, threw it in the back of his truck and took off. It had a big gash in the side. So we figured it was probably trash, but I can't imagine what these guys at the construction site were thinking. <laughs> I saw two guys steal an old tractor tire. <laughs> <laughs> so we had that tire to play with and, and I had flipped that tire. That was the only event that we had done really that was strongman specific. Um, so we go up to this competition. It's a six hour drive from Houston to a little town called Denison, which is right on the border of Texas and Oklahoma. It's August. It's hotter than hell up there. Wow. And this six hour drive, my friend kept saying the whole time, man, I'm so worried. I, I just don't want to finish last. I just don't want to finish last, whatever happens. So we get to the site of the competition. He's signing in the night before. Talk, I'm talking to the promoter. The promoter says, hey, you know what? You're here. Why don't you sign up? Now I realize he just wanted my 50 bucks, but I said, <laughs> what the hell? You know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'm here. Might as well. Um, I could have gone in the lightweight division, 
but I chose to stay in the heavyweight division with my friends. I wanted to compete next to him. Okay. And when I said that, he looked up at me and goes, man, I'm glad you're signing up because at least now I know I won't take last. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> believing in me, right? <laughs> exactly. I didn't really know I had a, a competitive bone in my body until that moment. That changed my life right there. Wow. So I'm going to crush you tomorrow, man. I... <laughs> <laughs> But the next day came. It was August 2nd. It was hotter than hell. It was on a bank parking lot, blacktop, asphalt. It was so ungodly hot. There was very little shade. But I had more fun doing that contest than I had ever had doing anything in my life. Wow. I still get goosebumps when I think mm. about it. It's just, oh, <laughs> that's really <laughs> I, I just, I had so much fun doing that contest. I, uh, I started thinking about what I wanted to do and if I wanted to pursue this more. And, you know, it, it, like here I was a week prior thinking maybe I'll put weightlifting on the back burner. This this purpose for my life, I was about to walk away from it. Right. And it's like God came in and said, no. <laughs> it just hit me in the face with strong man. I had this I had this nice, proper life planned out, real <laughs> respectable path. And then strong man came in and it was a sharp right turn in the in the no man's land it was uh it was i swear it was like divine intervention i mm. felt like this is where i needed to be wow. and then uh my friend he actually did end up last in that competition <laughs> but a few years later we both competed at world's strongest man in 2009 so we both made it to world's strongest man which is pretty rare yeah <laughs> that's an achievement but, yeah yeah it was It, it just, it, it changed me. It changed me. I dreamt of those events every single night for the next six months after that. Wow. I remember waking up and I would feel the farmer's handles in my hands. I could feel myself getting ready for stones with the tacky and the smell of the tacky. I could feel the concrete ripping the skin on my forearms. I woke up every single morning obsessed with wow. Strongman. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it was... Uh, You know, I was I was full in at that point. I, I went as hard as I could training strongman events. I had just bought a truck. And I swear that was more divine intervention because that truck was probably the most essential piece of strongman equipment I ever had because it got me every other piece of strongman equipment I ever had. All right. <laughs> you become a bit of a scavenger. You know, I'm driving around and I'm looking at roadside construction and I'm saying, okay, what's over there that I can grab? <laughs> <laughs> so I pull up in my truck. I, I remember my first, uh, one of my first carrying stones was a rock that I took out of a Walgreens parking lot. <laughs> uh, and there's not many rocks in Texas. That's the thing, man. It was, so somebody had paid to put it there, but I was, uh, I was full in. I was a hundred percent invested at that point. Wow. <laughs> that's so amazing because that, that's exactly, you know, what I do stand for, you know, this, You have the rational aspect of your career, which is, you know, every choice is okay. There is no right or wrong, but it's all about following this passion, this thing that is not rational. It doesn't make sense, right? Because anyone would tell you, oh, just finish your studies, 
Yeah. Especially <laughs> back in the days, you know, like uh oh, yeah. studies, get a quote unquote proper job and quotation marks here, you know, like my mom know, wanted that desperately. <laughs> right. But it is just this calling that is stronger than anything. And that is really what I call following the heart, following the nudge and just going <clears> for <throat> it, believing in yourself, even if nobody else believes in you. Like your friend exactly. was saying that. Exactly. Did you ever, so there was a book that I read, it was a few years ago, it was only about five years ago, called The Alchemist by mm -hmm. Paulo Coelho know, or something. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about, it's following your personal legend and everybody has one. Everybody has mm -hmm. this, but it, most people's lives, they come to a point where it's either follow that personal legend or take the other route, which this right. is safety. This is comfort. This is stability, mm. you know, it, and it's what I guess probably most people choose, but it's, that's it's a that sharp turn. Right. <laughs> it's the perceived stability and the perceived safety, because I, I think either choice is okay, but either choice comes with a price. Yeah. And maybe the, yeah. the price of the stability and the conformity <laughs> on the longer run could be like your enthusiasm, your joy, your health, like yeah. your stress, you know, the, the, the stress level being depressed to go for a job that yes, it pays the bill, but it's boring. I'm not going to swear, but you know what I mean? Boring AF. <laughs> and, <laughs> so it's, it's really, it's really about choices and, and no one can judge that. Right. So I really well, they'll try They'll yeah, try. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really about being stronger in your in your heart and also in your case in your muscles <laughs> the path that you chose so how did it go from there like because i can assume that i mean i, I say i assume because myself i've never experienced it but it comes with pain like physical pain of training like blood and sweat like you said oh yeah and, oh, yeah. um, so what, what has always been your, 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 why, the reason why you kept going, what, I guess I'm trying to say, what kept you going no matter what? So this is something I've kind of, I've thought about over the years because it, it evolves, it changes. Initially it was rage. It was, I was fueled by rage and I, I could ride that so hard. But rage is a little bit destructive in its own right. You know, it's, uh, it's self-destructive. So I, I got a long way training off of rage. I mean, I was bullied really bad in middle school and early high school, just really bad, picked on. I moved from, uh, I, and some international people may not understand the reference, but I moved from Southern California when I was 10 years old to South Georgia, which is a completely different world. And I was, uh, you know, this is sixth grade. I, I just turned 11. It's sixth grade. I was the fat kid. This is the South. And I'm this surfer punk from California. So the white kids hated me because I was this Californian. And then I didn't know anything about racism at the time. But then the black kids hated me because I was white. And so I got picked on by everybody. And I just, I, it was awful. <laughs> so uh, it was only, 
I think it was sometime that year. I mean, I was 11 when I, I started mowing lawns. I mowed my grandma's lawn and a couple neighbors' lawns to save up money to buy a weight bench. That's I just wanted a weight bench. And then uh, I was so focused on getting that weight bench that I didn't realize you had to pay for weights separately. So I had saved up enough money for this bench. I went to, to Walmart to buy it and then realized I didn't have any money for weights. So my mom actually chipped in. I was I paid $55 for the bench and it was $22 for some plastic weights, some, uh, you know, the little concrete filled plastic weights. Okay. That was my first setup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, that that rage fueled me for probably about 15 years. Wow. And, you know, when it came to pain, when it came to pushing hard, I, I don't know what makes me different. I don't know if it was, I don't, I don't think it was a hundred percent the rage that just made me train harder than other people. I think it was just, you know, it was a combination of a multitude of things. So yeah, the rage definitely fueled, I could tap into it, but it wasn't Mm. what, it wasn't the engine, so to speak. It was just extra nitrous, I guess. It was just fuel on top of the engine. The engine was just, just this deep love for pushing my body in that way. You know, I I could do it. uh, I tried doing uh, cross country, so I could dig deep when it came to running. I could dig deep when it came to, uh, you know, plyometrics, sprints. I was, I was a pretty good athlete. Once I got into high school, I started to become a pretty good athlete. I was the fat kid in middle school. I was way slower. I was way behind everyone else. And so when I got to high school, I didn't think I was a good athlete. I thought I was still way behind. So I never had any self-confidence. So I was always trying to make up for that. Mm. Uh, I guess, you know, being a year younger than everybody else kind of takes that, has that impact. Mm. Uh, So, you know, it's just a combination of those things. But I think it's just a passion for... I think wanting to create something better than what I was. I knew I could be better than what I was. And I still feel this today. I know that I'm better than I currently am. I just, I know that there's always that next little bit that I can get to. And so I, that's the engine. And so the different types of fuel are passion or rage, or now it's purpose. It's uh you know, the, the fuels change and the mixture changes, mm. but the engine that drives it is just, it it's so deeply ingrained in who I am. I don't really know what I'd be without it. And I actually got to a point where I didn't have it. And that is the most true statement I could have ever made because I did not know who I was without it. I, I totally lost myself <laughs> and things fell apart pretty bad. So would you say that, you know, you were talking about rage and like you said, it's pretty like it's a destructive emotion when it's not released, right? Because emotion, as I always say, emotions are energy in motion. They are meant to flow. They are not stuck. They are emotions. So would you say that was also your way of releasing it and transmuting the pain? Like because rage is just a form of pain, right? It's just yeah. the root cause was pain, the suffering. So it turned into rage. And 
would you say you were freeing yourself from this? So I always had, okay, so the way I see myself, there's two pieces, there's two me's. Okay. There's the Travis out here that experiences everything and makes the conscious decisions. And then there's the little passenger Travis back here that just kind of usually is just taking notes, but every now and then gives a little push on a certain thing. And I've had, a, I've always had this, this little, this guy back here giving me these subtle nudges at just the right time or in just the right way. And I think you're absolutely right. That was one of the nudges was, I needed an outlet for that, a healthy outlet for that. I didn't consciously know it. I just wanted a weight set. Consciously, I just wanted weights. Unconsciously, I think I knew that that was going to be a way to release some of this stuck energy. I think that was that's exactly what it is. Mm. So like you were, without being aware of it, you were already very in tune with that passion, the, the heart, because I do believe that the intuition, the higher wisdom, the inner guidance, whatever you want to call it, this little guy back there that you were talking yeah. about <laughs> is actually the voice of the heart. So it's like yeah. you, like this part of you was always guiding you so that you could, yeah, like you were, you were referring to the alchemist, but it's a form of alchemy and transmutation of the pain into something that brings you joy. And that also inspires other people, right? Because you were a part of um, a new a new movement. Because back in the day, it, it was not what it is today. From from what I understood of the the strongman competitions, and I remember I cannot remember actually what year it was, but I remember the competition. Was it in two thousand and three or two thousand and six when you broke your ankle and you were still lifting that big thing, like the frame with the barrels? Yeah, no, two thousand and ten. That was two thousand and ten. That was uh, so. That was my sixth world championship mm. at that point. <clears throat> um. So like I said, I rose through the ranks pretty quick. I went to my first world championship in 2005, you know, just two and a half years, three years after my first competition. Yeah. Actually, it was three years in one month. It was it was right there. Um, anyway, so. Yeah, I, I had pushed really, really hard. And uh, that was just one of the things that I was able to do that other people kind of weren't able to do. They weren't able to just push through pain. And I think I think you kind of made a really cool point with the alchemy and the transmutation of pain into joy or rage into joy. And so I wonder now, thinking about it like that, I wonder if I was so good at turning pain into joy that I turned physical pain into joy just out of habit. Because okay, so the way that I look at that is, I was just too stupid to quit when I did that. Because I broke my ankle; it's halfway through the finals at World's Strongest Man. I was in first place at the time, and I had my best events the next day. Mm. And then I break my ankle on the third event, the log press, on the first day. So I was devastated. Mm. But there was there was never in my mind that I was going to stop. It was how much can I hold on to. 
I know I'm probably not going to win, but how much can I do? How many of these other bastards day can I ruin? <laughs> you know, you're just going to turn it into something. So mm. it, it became spite at that point. But yeah, I think it was probably, that's a good way of looking at it. Is I was so used to turning pain into joy that physical pain was just the next logical step. <laughs> yeah, and this uh, this strength as well, because I, I have this image of the competition in my in my head, like how you were like not giving up. Like you were you you had it in you, you wanted to to start to to restart because you had paused and it it really felt like a, a battle of yourself versus yourself. Oh yeah. That's really how it felt. And that, that was really oh, yeah. vulnerable and, and a big, big moment. So, Well, I, I can tell you exactly what I was feeling the second day when I was trying to warm up for the first event, the, which was the fourth event overall. But the first event the second day was that 800-pound frame carry, like you said. Hmm. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm limping. You know, I had to use my friend as a crutch to get from the bus to the spot where we actually were doing the event i couldn't really walk on it. it was so painful i couldn't walk and that year they had already given the crutches the ankle brace boot thing and all the painkillers away there were so many injuries that year that they had given everything Whoa. away by the time i broke my ankle there was nothing there was wow. nothing for me <laughs> so um you know, I'm getting ready for that event and I'm doing everything I can to loosen the ankle up. And I've got this, this internal battle going back and forth of just let it go, man. It's not worth it. It's hell with that. I'm going to give it everything I have. And I remember right before that event, I actually got interviewed by Kazmaier and he asked me what was going to happen. And, and the only thing I could come up with, because he pulled me out of a trance, basically, I wasn't thinking... Clearly, I was thinking clearly, but I wasn't thinking in a way where I could express what I was feeling. So the only thing I had to say was something's going to happen. That's for damn sure. And in my head, that something that was going to happen was no matter what, no matter how I was feeling, this foot was going to make steps. I didn't care if I had to just plant it in the ground, take a big step with the other one, plant it in the ground, take a big step. I didn't care if I had to drag my leg and then hop on the other one. It didn't matter. I was going to move that damn frame. And so we started, I, ah, man, I picked it up and this surge of pain went up my leg and immediately I wanted to drop it. Wow. It was so painful, but I took a few steps and I actually have a video uh, that my, my ex-wife at the time took. She was kind of off offset off the front. And so you can really see this limp with an 800-pound frame that I'm doing. Wow. It's freaking ridiculous. <laughs> but I still beat a couple of guys. I still beat a couple of guys because my grip was strong and it held out. And I got I got about a third of the way down the first part of the course. You know, so it was like a it was like a 60-foot course. I made it about 20, 25 feet, something like that. It was it was probably the most painful 20 feet of my entire life. Mm. But I made it happen. I did it. And, <laughs> you know, that, that internal, it was like two, uh, well, if you've ever seen Harry Potter and you see the two wands and the magic that hits and they start pushing each other's magic, the red and the green back and forth. That was like my thoughts 
kind of pushing each other back and forth. And then finally, the well, I, I wouldn't say it was the right thought, but the uh, <laughs> the thought that made me keep going is the one that won out. <laughs> mm, right. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So what would you want to say? And I know you're a coach and we're, we're going to, to talk about it in a minute, but what would you want to say to anyone who, who wants to start strongman or maybe who already has started strongman or strong woman, obviously, uh, who maybe already has started, but they're like, wow, this is tough. Like, do you have advice for pain management for like mind over matter kind of thing? Oh. Well, the first key piece of information is if you don't mind, it don't matter. But that's not always a smart thing to do. So the way I coach people now, you know, at least on that side of things is uh, in training, we have a very strict limit of pain. We don't push through. And that that is a hard limit. And that's the most difficult thing for me to practice what I preach on. Because okay. I'm so used to pushing through pain. I really have to monitor myself. Um, but, you know, and people ask me, you know, would you do it again if you broke your ankle and you're a world's strongest man? If I was at any other contest, I'd drop out. But at world's strongest man, you keep going. That's the one where it doesn't matter what happens. You keep freaking going. You know, I saw a guy kind of knock himself in the head with a circus dumbbell a few years ago, and then he dropped out. And I thought, probably the biggest mistake he's ever made because he doesn't know if he'll ever make it back. Yeah. He's in the final at World's Strongest Man. You give it hell. You give it everything that you've got until you are laying there dead on the ground. You give it everything you have. But not everybody agrees with how I think on it. <laughs> so I totally understand that. But that's that's how I feel about it. If you're in a contest that's that important, you just keep going. Mm, I understand. It's like this um, seizing the opportunity and uh, making the best of it. Also, maybe not to have regrets like. That right there, the pain of regret is greater than the pain that you will experience in the moment. Wow, that was that's a great quote. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's a smaller competition, you know, if it's a smaller competition, I now know that I would pull back. The uh, because that ankle injury haunted me. It it caused a lot of problems for the next year. It it was uh, it weighed on me a lot, and it actually kind of was the beginning of the end for me in my first life. It was, uh, it took so much to get over that. And I pushed through so much pain. You know, I did the Arnold six months later with my ankle still killing me. I had it braced. I had it taped. I did everything I could. And I still competed at the Arnold. I took fourth, but I was miserable training for it. And after that, I kind of, you know, I pushed through the rest of the year, but I, I started to resent going to the gym. And by 2012, I hated training. I hated competing. I hated all of it. And I know, so some people would say, well, if you'd have dropped out when you hurt your ankle and then rested, that probably wouldn't have happened. That's probably true. I probably wouldn't have gotten the burnout. <clears throat> so the way that I would do things now is I would not have pushed through all of the other competitions leading up to that. So I wouldn't already have this wave of momentum of, you know, being fed up with being hurt. 
I would have let my body heal. And this would be, you know, a one-off spike rather than just another right, adding to the, that negative energy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I probably would not have done the Arnold afterward. I would have tried to do it the next year. I'd have, I'd have taken next year's spot mm. and then given myself a full year to heal that injury. That would be the, the smart way. So I'd still push through, but I would have taken the before and after much differently. Mm. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Because yeah, the, uh, that weighed on me, that, uh, you know, that was, uh, when I stopped training, we talked about this earlier and how you kind of lose yourself. Um, I remember somewhere in 2012, I remember I hadn't worked out for over a month at this point. I was starting to lose myself to some really bad influences. And uh, I remember looking in the mirror and I'm, I'm staring back at myself and I didn't recognize who I was. Wow. And that was a really weird feeling. Do you mean physically or do you mean like the, the everything? The, I didn't know who it was. I'm like, who, who's the guy I'm looking at? It's not what I'm used to seeing. This is not who I'm used to looking at when I see myself in the mirror. You know, obviously, I, I mean, I knew it was me, but I just didn't know whose eyes are those, you know, whose, whose expressions are these, who you're, you're hanging different. You're holding your shoulders different. You're, you look like you're weighed down. And, and I was, I was weighed down and really unhappy. Um, and I've actually seen some things since there was a, a show on HBO that was, it was kind of doing a football life after the NFL, but this is true for all professional athletes. <clears throat> There's a 75% divorce rate when an athlete retires from sport. And that might even be a little bit higher. We don't, you know, it, it's, it could be worse, but most of them, the vast majority of them, and so they've started giving them psychiatrists to talk to, therapists to talk to towards the end of a career so that they don't go through this. But when they retire, they all say, I remember looking in the mirror and I didn't know who that guy was looking back at me. And I thought that's exactly how I felt. Like, so this is not an uncommon thing. Mm. This, oh my God, okay. <clears throat> now, at that point, I was already deep into a meth addiction, so <laughs> it didn't... It had an effect, but it didn't have enough of an effect to change the trajectory of where I was headed. Mm. You know, it was, uh, I lost myself. And, you know, when you take that, that huge chunk of your day, your focus, your life, and you suddenly remove it, you have all this space and it's a void and that, that vacuum will suck anything in that it can. And the easiest things to go in there are, you know, alcohol, drugs, laziness you know and all the easy things to do the easy things that don't require much of a mental investment mm -hmm. so if i'd have known these things i might have been a little bit better prepared to have a hobby or to this is what i talk to people about who are starting to end their professional careers as an athlete it's like okay what's what's your exit strategy you know do you have something that you're going to do? Do you have a job that you want to do? Do you have another career path picked out? Do you have some hobbies? If, if you made enough money that you don't need to work, do you have hobbies? And, you know, can you stay in the sport some other way as a coach, as a commentator? You know, you see the guys who retire that become commentators. 
they lead successful lives. They don't have this issue because they are still involved in the thing they love and they have purpose. Mm -hmm. So it's all about finding purpose and keeping some kind of purpose going. Uh, you know, I had to, I had to learn that the hard way. I had to, <laughs> I had to get dragged through hell to learn that lesson. But then again, I've never learned lessons the easy way. So I guess that's just par for the course. <laughs> well, you know, the, the main thing is that you, you still never gave up and you made it. So what would you say made you go through that hardship that you were like, how did you, you were talking about the void. So crawl out of the void, if I may use that expression. Yeah. So <clears throat> That, uh, that little guy back here, that passenger, mm -hmm. I remember I remember being able to feel both different thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the guy up front and the guy in the back. I remember as I'm making these decisions, every now and then this guy would pipe up and say, that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. Just real small, real mm -hmm. small. And so out here, I'm like, what? Shut up. You know, whatever. <laughs> so, and then I could almost feel him like sitting back there with a clipboard going, okay, well, we're going to take notes on that. It's like, yep, I told you that was a bad idea. And he's just back here taking notes. <laughs> but he's, uh, on the one hand, I feel like this guy was always just kind of taking notes at that point. But I still, looking back, I think he was still directing which way I was going to go is okay. This is going to get ugly. And I could feel like he's thinking, you know, I know that you, you know that I love you, but this is going to hurt because mm -hmm. this is a lesson that you're going to need to learn. And I only learned things, well, important things the hard way. So I took the hardest possible path out there. You know, I, uh, I started to lose who I was. And so I lost my relationship with my wife at the time. We have a, we had a three-year-old son. Um, so we separated and she moved back home to England and took our son with her. And that, I mean, that, that, that was the worst pain that I ever felt in my life was taking them to the airport and everything in my body screaming, this is a terrible idea. This is a terrible idea. Don't do it. But in my rational mind, I'm thinking, well, we're going to try and have a fresh start in England. You know, she's going to get a house set up. I'm going to sell the house here. We're going to have a fresh start. Well, it turns out everything else was right because I got the rug pulled out from under me, which I knew was going to happen. But I also knew that I was the problem. And that's a real hard thing to admit when, you know, you know, your life is bad and things are going wrong. And then you look at the situation and realize you're the problem. It's not someone else. It's not some outside force. It's you. And so allowing myself, forcing myself to remove myself from that situation, because I didn't want to drag them down with me. I knew I was making bad decisions. And it was like a could. It was like a, a train wreck. It was so slow, but completely unstoppable. I just was going down this path of, you know, drinking too much, drugs, depression. And so I had to let them go. And I took them to the airport and 
I just remember how happy my son was. He was so excited. He's going on an adventure. You know, he'd been on planes before. They were there in South Africa. He actually took his first steps in the hotel room between the third and fourth day of the qualifiers at World's Strongest Man. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting That's there on amazing. the bed thinking, God dang, I don't know how I'm going to get through. And then he's over there playing on the carpet. He stands up. He looks at me. He walks over oh, to me. So I was like, you got to be shitting me. Wow. It's like, okay. Well, if you could do that, I'm winning tomorrow. That's it. <laughs> so mm. I did. I had a first place and a second place. Went through to the finals. But anyway, so I I took them to the airport. And I just remember he's smiling and he grabs his mom's hand and they start walking through the doors. And when those doors closed behind them, I felt my heart like rip open. Wow. It was the most intense pain I've ever felt in my life. And I'm, I've been through strong, man, all kinds of pain. I've done some stupid shit and been really hurting because of it, but nothing came anywhere close to that pain. So, you know, I went, I went home and I had to stop a couple of times on my way home to kind of collect myself. Uh, but when I got home, I was hurting so bad that I just, I said, you know what, Travis, just, Take a week, take a week, do whatever the hell you want. And let's, let's put it all behind us and, and kind of clear your head out. And so, um, you know, that's, that was when meth came into my life and that week turned into four years of you know, pain and, and darkness and, and uh, got a call coming in. Sorry. That's okay. Anyway, so pain and misery anyway, um, but while I was going down that hill, falling down into the darkness, I was always aware of like little checkpoints. You know, it, it was kind of like I knew I was the problem, so I had to let them go. You know, it wasn't a conscious thing, but I, some part of me knew that that was the only answer. So as I'm falling into hell, I'm seeing the things around me that are causing this and I'm seeing, I'm taking notes and I'm, I'm thinking about how I could do better because I know I'm going to pass this point again because I'm, I'm going to hit at some point and I'm going to fight like hell to come back. Um, you know, and I tried to resist for a long time. I tried to slow it down, but it's like the more I tried to slow it down, the more, the faster I fell into hell. And so I just wrote it. I just, I just let my life fall apart quickly. And I actively destroyed my life. Uh, a meth addiction will do that to you. Um, but the moment where I noticed it turn around was, uh, I think it was like, it was either August or September of 2015. So here I am, I've got three and a half years of meth addiction and, and losing everyone and everything. <clears throat> I lost my family. They turned their backs on me. My friends turned their backs on me. My, uh, you know, I'd lost my career as a strong man. I'd lost my job as a personal trainer. I'd lost uh, basically everything. I was even losing my house. I had just lost my house. I had a few, like either 30 or 60 days to get all my stuff and leave. It had just been foreclosed on. So I remember I had called to talk to my son. I talked to him probably five times a week at that point. He's uh, 
At this point, he was about five and a half, six years old. So he wasn't really interested in being on the phone. And I understood that. So I tried to keep it short and sweet. But when they didn't answer, it, it was like opening that wound on my heart up every time. And so as the years went by, it went from, you know, five days a week to four days a week that they'd answer. Then it was three days a week that they'd answer. And at this point, it was probably once a week that they'd answer maybe maybe 10 days so i'd call and i probably had you know seven or eight days of going to voicemail and it went to voicemail again and i just something broke i just said i i snapped a little bit i i wanted to die then and there so i thought about it i mean i i started to i had a, a pistol in my mouth and i'm thinking about all the things that I'd lost and all the pain that I was going through. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. I was tired of it. You know, exhaustion is probably the most powerful force that you never really think about. It, it, uh, it weighs on you and you don't really notice because it's such a slow process. And so at that point I was just exhausted. I wanted to give up. And then as I was sitting here thinking about shooting myself, I thought, <laughs> I thought about the poor bastard that was going to have to clean my brains up off the ceiling. Oh. <laughs> it's just the visual of it. I'm like, okay, man, wait, what are you doing, man? Maybe, wow. you know, maybe, maybe you don't really want to do this. If you're still thinking about other people, maybe, maybe this is not the right answer. <laughs> so, you know, I got to laugh about it because otherwise you'd cry. It's just freaking miserable. But I put the gun down and I started thinking to myself, how the hell did I get here? How the hell did this happen? I'm looking around at my house and I don't know if you've ever seen a tweaker's house, but it's, it's, they're always messy. They're cluttery because you collect lots of stupid little things, you know, and I had this business where I would drive around on trash night and I would pick things up that people put out and I'd fix them up and resell them. So I had stuff everywhere. I mean, I've always been pretty, you know, motivated or or had some ingenuity and, and <laughs> i just didn't want to work for someone else cool. but uh i had shit everywhere and I, i'm sitting here thinking you know how did i get here and when i asked that question this negative list came to my mind it was like well you lost this you lost that you lost this you lost that and i started thinking you know, I, i've said that before and i, I started noticing how often i've said that before you know, every time I got home, every time I pulled in the driveway, I'd tell myself how much I hate my life. I lost this, I lost that. I had a little rhyme in my head, even that I would go through every time I'd get home and I'd walk in the door and I'd see something, and I'd be reminded of my son in that spot. And I'd think about everything that I'd lost. And this just negativity list was constant. Mm. And I thought, you know, the more that I say this, it's like the more powerful it becomes. Right. The more I say, I've noticed that was that guy back here taking notes. It's like, you know, every time you do that, it gets a little worse. And I thought maybe, you know, if, if that's true, that direction, maybe it's true the other direction. Right. So I said, okay, Travis, find one thing to be grateful for. Let's find one thing to be grateful about. And so I started looking around and I couldn't find anything because, like I said, my house was a mess. <laughs> and in every corner that I looked in, I'd see a memory of my son. Or I'd see, you know, something that was broken that was once 
something that I loved or whatever. But anyway, and and so I, I noticed myself right away get into that negative list. And I said, stop. One thing grateful, do it now. So I put my head in my hands. I looked down at the ground. I'm really trying to think of something. I'm giving up. And I see my toes move. And I thought, you know, my feet, all right, my feet are kind of messed up because I had been shooting meth for three years at this point. And it kind of settles and it'll give you blisters on your feet. So anyway, I looked at them. I said, they're kind of messed up, but they still work. And if they still work, I don't have to stay here. I can get up and walk right out of this mess wow. right now. And this surge of joy came up, shot up into the back of my throat. Wow. That, that feels good. Holy shit. I sat with it for a while. And I, I went to bed. I got up the next day and I said, I want that feeling. I want that again. I said, let's find another thing. So I look around and right away the negativity list starts going. I blocked it off. I said, nope, we'll go find one more good thing. And I said, well, I got my own feet. Let's keep it simple. I got my own hands. I got my own feet and I got my own hands. My hands are still strong. That means I can get up, I can walk out of here and I can still do anything that I want to do. And that surge of joy came up again. It was wow. beautiful. <laughs> so I remember thinking, oh my God, man, this is something, this is something I want to do. So on the third day, I found a third thing. On the fourth day, I found a fourth thing. On the fifth day, I didn't find a new thing. So I went through my previous four. Now I've got a gratitude list. Now, instead of a negative list, every time I start to do that, I'd stop it. And I would tell myself all the things I was grateful wow. for. And I tried to do it as many times a day as I could. And I even got to a point, kept a little pebble, a little rock about that size in my pocket. I keep this one because this one reminds me of a walk with my dog. Mm -hmm. But uh, I kept it in my pocket. And every time I put my hand in my pocket and touched that rock, it was like a cue. Okay, gratitude list. I'd pull it out. I'd look at it and I'd say everything I was grateful for. Do that 10 times a day. Anytime I caught myself doing that negative list, all the things I'd lost, I'd stop it. I'd go through everything I was grateful for. Some days were harder than others, obviously. I had a lot of negative momentum, a lot of momentum built up. But it was like, it was like this little guy standing against the waves of an ocean, and he was starting to push him back. He started to get bigger, and he started to push the waves back. And over time, I knew that it was really powerful when one of my, my friends at the time, she was over and I was talking about this and she goes, what do you have to be so grateful for? <laughs> and I thought, ooh, right there, this is powerful. This is powerful. It is upsetting people. It's, it's turning over the apple cart. This is pissing people off because people at that level, they're miserable and they want to keep you down there with them. They don't want to try and be better. So you can't try and be better because that'll make them feel worse about themselves. So they try as you try. They tried to hold me down as much as they freaking could. And I could feel it. And it was like the more that they tried, the more hooks they put in me to try to drag me down, the stronger I got. Wow. Because I knew that it was having, I just I held on to that belief. It was so powerful. Every time they tried, it gave me strength. Mm. And so gradually, I started to get this better momentum. 
Now, I knew I was on borrowed time with my house. So I had been building this other idea up in my head for the last several months. I put all my negative energy into the house. The house was a prison. I knew that I wasn't going to get out of it myself. That's why I let it go into foreclosure. Yeah. It's not the only reason, but it was one of the positives I found in letting it go to foreclosure. Right. Um, but I, I told myself, this is my prison. I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. I was just trying to pack all my stuff, you know, the things, the essential things that I wanted. But, you know, I, as a tweaker, that is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> It's so hard because you get way too meticulous with all stupid little details. And then you get sidetracked with something else. And it took me months to pack the things that I wanted. But I got really close. And I had mo all my stuff in the front room of the house. And then they came that morning to kick me out. And they wouldn't let me grab my stuff in the front room. They just made me leave. Whoa. So uh, I was I was kind of devastated. But, you know, I had they they take your stuff and then they ransom it back to you or they auction it off is how that works. So I bought my stuff back. It would cost me like 900 bucks to get my stuff back. Um, all the things, the important things that I wanted. Anyway, <clears throat> it hurt when they kicked me out of my house, obviously. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, way back here, back of my heart, I felt relieved. I felt like this huge weight had been lifted off of me. You know, I didn't really know where to go. I had a storage unit at the time. We did strongman training at a storage unit for 12 years. So I knew the owners real well. They loved watching us train. They loved having us there. They had seen me go from top of the world to where I was at that moment. There was a man and a woman who lived there and ran the place, Linda and Steve. <clears throat> and uh, I showed up with, I had a few things in my truck. So I go and I put it in my storage unit. I'm trying to arrange it. I'm hanging out there. I'm there all day because I don't know where else to go. And I'm, I'm moving stuff that night. And so I just decide to sleep there. I spent the night. And I remember the next day, Steve came up to me. He goes, you know, Travis, you can't stay here. You know that, right? <laughs> His East Texas accent. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. No, no, I, I wouldn't. Dare. I wouldn't dream of it. I was just here organizing late and, you know, I took a quick nap and, and then one night turned into two nights and three nights turned into four nights and then a, three months turned into four months or two months turned into three months rather. And they just looked the other way. They just didn't say anything. I slept in my storage unit on a little a box plyometric box a wooden box with a yoga mat on top of it and i had my feet up on the shelf behind it was it was a rough setup but uh i actually got a picture of it it's kind of fun to look back sometimes <laughs> but they looked the other way and linda she had all these stray cats and she said you know you're just like one of my stray cats <laughs> but she let me stay there and it took me a couple months to save up enough money um but my mom had gotten sick so I was trying to get to Reno, Nevada. They'd moved there a couple of years before. I hadn't talked to them in three years. She'd gotten sick with liver failure. So I wanted to go out and I wanted to see her and then help out if I could, because I had nowhere else to go. So it took me three months of living in the storage unit to save up enough money to then drive out there. Um, but it was, 
I was still uh, totally addicted to meth. I was still, you know, my, the rest of my life was kind of in shambles. But instead of things going down, I'd already hit the bottom. I was already starting to move the other direction. Mm. And uh, so I saved enough money. And the only thing that I had left to do was to paint my truck. So 2014, a couple of years prior to this, uh, I had a, uh, a uh, Dodge Dakota that the paint burned up in the sun. You know, it was one of those trucks where the paint just faded off after a few years. So I was going to repaint the truck. And then uh, in typical tweaker fashion, I got halfway through the job and then got sidetracked and went on to something else. So I had this truck that was halfway stripped with two different colors of primer on it. And it just looked like shit. It was like a symbol of who I was, you know, an unfinished mess. That's what it was. And so I just, I could not leave until I had painted it. And so I spent about a week sanding it down, getting it right. I painted it. First try, I put this gloss black on it. And it just showed every dent and everything wrong. It was awful looking. And then the second coat I did with like a flat black, kind of a matte finish. And it looked pretty good. I'll admit, it looked pretty good. And so here I was. I got my truck. I got a couple of things fixed up, cleaned up, got it ready for the long trip. I loaded the bed of the truck and then I took off and that, uh, that was like a ride to freedom. That was like, uh, I took 10 days to get from Houston to Reno and I stopped when I wanted to stop. I slept when I wanted to sleep. I, uh, I stayed at the grand Canyon for a few days and I, uh, yeah, just took my time doing what I wanted to do as a way of uh, just letting everything else out transition yeah yeah that, that's exactly what it was <laughs> wow that's really amazing and uh it's it's such a touching story because even if it felt like you lost everything you never really lost that connection with that part of yourself with your your inner guidance, because even if it was in the back, it was taking notes, but you still had this, this thing with yourself, you know, this, this connection with yourself. So it's like, you, you lost yourself, but at the same time, you didn't, you, you, you never lost it completely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah that, that's a great way of saying it. I, I totally lost the outward part of me but that inner drive that and, and you could say you know it's it's inner guidance you could say it's angelic guidance it could oh. be spiritual guidance it could be divine it's all the same if mm. you ask me whatever that intelligence is it's all the same and so it always seems to have guided me where i needed to be not where i wanted to be where I needed to be in order to be where I am now. And there's been a couple of real interesting times. It, it, it's like it, it never let me get too far. There was things that I was doing during that time. I could be in jail for, you know, 20, 30 years. You know, the, there's you know, just drug interaction, stuff like that. I could easily have been put away for a long time, but I got out of it because I got 
lucky. I know other people who didn't, you know, I, uh, it could have happened to me at any time it, 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 during that period. <clears throat> There's a, uh... oh, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that also shows the, the type of human that you, you are like the, the good heart, the, you know, no intention to, to create harm or, or anything. That's yeah, also... I, I never really had a mean bone in my body. Mm. You know, the, even during my self-destructive phase, I know that I see people handle that two different ways. I see the people who are self-destructive and they take it out on others. And I see people who are self-destructive and they take it out on themselves, which could be argued that they're still taking it out on others, their loved ones, because... Indirectly, but it's not like an intention to harm someone deliberately. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm. I, had a, I had a friend who was definitely the opposite of me. He'd have screwed, he screwed his life up a little and then he would lash out at others. And, and so I didn't want to be that way. And I never, I've never really wanted to hurt anybody. You know, I wanted to hurt the bullies that picked on me, but only because they picked on me. It was, it's not like I wanted to hurt them for any other reason. Right. Um, but, you know, you just, it, just the gentle nudges at the right times of not being where things could have gone very, very badly. My life would have been that, like things that would have changed the direction of my life in a permanent manner. Those things didn't happen. I remember one in particular that really stuck with me. It actually happened twice. I was sitting at a stoplight and this was a, uh, it was like a T junction. So there was two, two roads that kind of came in at an angle and they came together and then split back off. So this road, you can be really fast and make this turn. And I remember sitting at the light here and a car, I, I remember I'm just sitting there, the light turns green and I'm looking at it and I go, that's green, but why am I sitting here? Put your foot on the gas, Travis. Now, I mean, this happened for like three or four seconds. Put your foot on the gas, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden this car blasts through the inter intersection, like skidding, like going about 60 miles an hour, trying to make the light when he was like two or three seconds behind it. If I had gone, when that light turned green, I'd have been smashed. Wow. It was really wild. That happened twice. And that's when I knew, you know, whatever, I used to think it was my grandfather was looking out for me, but whatever it was that's looking out for me, that's making sure that these life altering events didn't happen. Mm. It was there at that time, at both of those times. <laughs> wow. That's you know, it's, uh, yeah, it, it was there when I signed up for my first strongman contest, it was there throughout all of the darkness. It was there. I don't feel it as often now, but it's hard to feel it in the moment. I'll probably be able to look back and see things that are happening, but mm -hmm. you know, in the moment you're, you're in the trenches and you can't see very much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you still, you know, there, oh, there is so much to, <laughs> to talk about. <clears throat> but first of all, I want to say it, it really takes courage to, to realize the responsibility that you have in, in your life. And, and the you is in general, you know, 
of course, in the story that you shared, it it did take courage when you said it's nobody else's responsibility. But like you were saying, you you really acknowledged the role yeah. that you were playing, and I think this is very healthy. It's painful. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. That's why that that's why I really believe it takes a lot of courage because. It's easier to say, oh, well, this is because this or this is because that or because God doesn't love me or whatever excuse, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's that really shows that you had, like I was saying, you had this connection to yourself and also the power of gratitude. This is really Save my life. And I know it's big for you because you do those uh, Monday uh, gratitude oh, yeah. videos. And this is, this is really <laughs> beautiful. And... Uh, and, and there is so much that we can tend to take for granted, you know, when we got carried away by life. And oh, then yeah. you, you say that to people and so I'm like, yeah, I'm grateful, grateful for what? A roof above my head and then what? Like food in my plate? Yeah, okay, like it sounds cliche. But when you really, really take a moment to feel that and to really feel yeah. what it means, it hits different. Absolutely. And it, it definitely hits different when you haven't, had that you know when you don't have a roof over your head and you realize oh shit it really is an important thing to have a roof over your head and food to eat you know it's and in uh, when you get out into nature when you when you actually get into the world it doesn't care about you you're just another part of of whatever the consciousness is that that is earth you're just a piece of it a small piece piece of it you know when you die your molecules turn into dust and go back to into everything else and that's mother nature doesn't care you know you're <laughs> so if you're in the desert and you don't have water you're gonna die when you get water you experience a new kind of gratitude and you realize holy shit i really do need water you know we, we water is easy to come by you can get it almost anywhere in the world that we've built so nobody thinks, oh, my God, I'm so grateful for this glass of this plain, unflavored water. But when you don't have it for a while, you realize, man, that's important. <laughs> and that's kind of where I went. I had to go into the depths of hell to realize that, you know, friends and family, love, you know, companionship, uh, shit, just a healthy mindset. Uh, you know, there was, I didn't have food. I ate every other day at that time. So, you know, when, when you experience that, it, it teaches you. And it's probably the most grateful I've ever been was when I was there. I was so grateful to be alive. I was so grateful for every little thing that I got because I had nothing. So I was grateful for fast food of all things. I was grateful for fast food so I could eat. But you know, it's, uh, yeah, and I've, I've really, now that I've built a pretty good life for myself, I really try to hang on to that feeling. And that's why the, the weekly Monday gratitude, it's, it's a reminder, it's my way. You know, it's great if it helps people, that's awesome, and I love that, but it's, it's really my way of making sure that I don't forget what it was like. Because... I'd never want to go back down that road. <laughs> yeah, and, and you won't. There is no reason why you you would, because 
now you, you have reinforced this connection even more with yourself and you've built this, you know, this positive spiral. And it's very important what you said, because we talk about the negative spiral, but the positive spiral also exists. And it's really amazing how you've bounced back from this hardship that you went through. And now you've built an empire for, for yourself. So this is the proof to anyone listening that it can always get better. It's not the end of yes. the road. Yes. Yes, so, absolutely. And that's so, that? that out of that gratitude, out of that hell, out of all those things that happened came the mission. My mission is to show what's possible. Mm. And purpose is a big part of it is that mission. The mission is my purpose. So my purpose was to show that no matter how far you've been knocked down, no matter how many people kicked you while you were down there, you could always stand back up and keep climbing the mountain. And I've just, I wanted to show people that it was possible. So what I did, I climbed the highest damn mountain I fucking could. You know, I started with nothing. I got to the top of the strongman world and then I I left it with less than nothing. I, you know, I, uh, I lost all of the weight that I had gained since training for strongman. It was kind of funny. One day I remember asking myself, when is this hell going to end? And that little guy back here said, you're going to start over. And I knew what that meant. I knew that it meant I was going to have to be, I was going to drop body weight down to where I was. Every bit of muscle that I had gained in the strongman, I was going to lose. I did that first contest at 227 pounds, January 7th, 2016. After that 10-day journey, and then spending a few days seeing and getting to know my family again, I went into the gym. I actually had the, the, the drive to go into the gym because part of what I did on that drive to freedom was clean my body. I, I started using less and less of the meth. I started tapering off and I did not get the side effects of dropping it. And so when you stop meth, you have this horrible depression. It's a dopamine crash. You feel like trash. You can't do anything. But here I was on a mission. I was out exploring. So I, I had this constant dopamine after dopamine hit, you know, novelty. So that kept me going. So I was able to finally clean myself out, get rid of this. And so you were in a different environment home, as well. No routine. And then a different environment. Exactly. Yeah. There was no, there was, I didn't know anybody where I was going. I could not resupply. I could not talk to anyone that had anything of the sort. So it was, it was truly a, a drive to freedom. Now, after a few days, I mean, it only took a few days of clearing that out of my system before I started getting the urge to be who I used to be. It was so weird. When I started taking meth, I really hated going to the gym. I forced myself to for like another few months, mm. but I just, I hated it already, but it just wasn't fun anymore. It didn't feel good. You know, you know, even though I had hated it for the months prior, when I'd worked out, I'd still kind of feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. But when I started taking the meth, it took that away. I even started listening to more electronic music dubstep chaotic type music i hated the hard rock that i had loved and then when i cleaned my system i started wanting to listen to the hard rock again 
and I started wanting to train again. It's like I suddenly became who I was. It, it took my soul away. <laughs> but I went into the gym. And it's kind of a long way of going around. Sorry, I got sidetracked. But I went into the gym, and that first day back, I was 227 pounds, the exact same weight I was at that first contest. Wow. <laughs> like I'd lost you that. Close the loop. <laughs> it's exactly what it was, man. It wow. was just complete do-over. Um, and I had been 341 pounds. You know, I'd, I'd lost well over 100 pounds of body weight. Mm. So here I was. I'd climbed the mountain. I'd come down to the depths of hell. I'd clawed my way out of hell. And now I had this mountain in front of me again. And I just knew the whole time, even when I was going through all that hell, this little tiny thought back here always held on to World's Strongest Man. Wow. It always held on to it. I, I don't know why. I just knew I was going to freaking do it again. Mm. I didn't know what I was going to have to go through to get there. But I started training. I was weak as a kitten. I remember the first time that I deadlifted. I... uh my my best deadlift, normal bar from the floor during the strongman was about 900 pounds. The first time I deadlifted after all that mess, losing all the body weight, I did 405 for three reps, and I thought that I had broken my back. <laughs> I was at like 45%. It was, it was awful. I, I thought, holy shit, how in the hell did I ever do that? There's no way I'll get back. But I just went to the gym because I loved it. I just kept going. I kept fighting. I kept thinking, world's strongest man. I'm still, I'm going to do it. I know I can do it. I know I can do it. And so I fought back from 2016. I started competing again at the end of 2017. I uh, did Champions League 2018, started going all over the world competing again. I got a real bad injury in 2019 that kind of sidelined me for a year. And then 2020, COVID happened. And then that gave me enough time, though. COVID shut things down enough that I got a chance to catch up to where I would have been without the injury. And I was in really good shape, and I got the invite to World's Strongest Man 2021. So you talk about closing a loop. I mean, all the way up, all the way down. And then there I was, back at the top. Amazing. So <laughs> I just wanted to prove that it could be done. I, you know, I just wanted people to realize like I said earlier, that if you get beaten down, it's up to you to stand up and keep going. Yeah, really amazing. Thank you so much for for sharing. And uh, there, there's so much to, to say, but I, I don't want to keep you for too long. But would you like to talk about your coaching? Because you're also a coach and helping people. And uh, so would you like to talk about this and also how people can work with you, what you offer and everything. Yeah, sure, sure. So now I, I built, I've built my coaching business. I've, I basically get to do what I love to do mm. all day long. It's great. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I work with people online. It's all online coaching. I don't do any in person. I do have clients who come to town and we'll train together. But I don't do like personal training one-on-one. -on -one. So it's all online. I work with people all over the world, people of all fitness levels. I have 
elite strength athletes. And then I have guys who have just literally started out. I'm working with a guy right now. He was 407 pounds when we started. Here we are uh, six months into the program. He is 335 pounds and he's so much stronger. He's so much fitter. He's, he's just, it's an absolute incredible thing to watch. And I love that I can be a part of that journey for someone. So, uh, yeah. yeah, my uh, so the best way to get a hold of me for that is my name Travis Ortmeyer at uh, on Instagram or my old uh, my nickname because I was the best in the world for years on Atlas Stones. My nickname is the Texas Stone Man. So my website is just TexasStoneMan.com. I will put that's Stone Man, not Strong Man. Everybody mixes that up. <laughs> I will put the links in the in the description so that everyone can just go and click. And, okay. Yeah. So that's really amazing. Thanks so much. So you you also work with women. I do. I do. Yeah. Anyone and everyone. You know, strength athletes. Um, I haven't done a uh, full prep for bikini or bodybuilding, but I've helped people start and. It's something I'm kind of interested in. I've done a lot of research on it. So, and, the, and my girlfriend does bikini. So I've got someone to ask if there's ever something I don't know, yeah, so. <laughs> which is one of the cool things about my coaching is I still get coaching. I believe in it fully. Hmm. I get coaching all the time. I, I shit right now. I pay 1300 bucks a month for four different coaches. And I kind of cycle through different coaches. I've got mindset coaches that I've been through. I've got diet coaches, my own training coach, a uh, like physical rehab coach. Um, currently, I've got a, a training coach, a diet coach, a business coach, and a uh, supplement slash uh, hormone specialist coach. So I've got all these people in my corner. If any of my athletes or any of my clients ever has a question that I don't know, I know exactly who to go to to ask. And you're one of those people that if I get some spiritual question, I'm coming to you with questions because <laughs> you you helped me a lot. You know, that's we got we got to touch on that. You've helped me a lot over the years. Thanks, my honor. Really, it's always been a, a pleasure to. To team up with you and uh, to exchange with you so <laughs> but i i appreciate it i really do thanks thanks so much so yeah so if anyone wants to be coached and trained by travis of course all the links will be in the description like i said i'm so so grateful that you took the time to share your story with us it's really amazing really inspiring and would you like to share some words to wrap up this episode like words of wisdom <laughs> <laughs> words of wisdom ah wiz wisdom is one of those funny you already things dropped a lot of wisdom in this episode <laughs> <laughs> you know i think uh hell there's always something i forget that i wanted to say afterward and i'm sure that'll be true today but i think the most important part is you know in summation of this whole thing if i had to just give the most powerful lesson that I've ever learned. It's <clears throat> it's learning to look at yourself as who you really are by taking accountability for your actions, finding purpose for those actions, and being grateful for everything that happens to you along the way. 
you know, finding gratitude in everything that happens. I think that's probably, that sums me up. You're an alchemist. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Like transmuting this, uh, the situations, the pain, the, the emotions, the, the thoughts. So yeah, much respect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that one. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's your new, uh, your new nickname now. <laughs> or want to add to the to the list <laughs> so thank you very that much that list keeps growing <laughs> yes yes thank you so much for sharing everything with us thank you everyone for listening go and give some love to travis on social media on his website i will put all the links in the description thank you very much and i will see you in the next episode bye everyone <laughs>